CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Check this out. Illinois has recreational cannabis, right? What if you want to feel real good without getting high? And how about ordering it online and getting it right to your door? Well, there's this company, Mineral. They do whole plant hemp oil formulations. It's like CBD, but it's more than CBD. Mineral grows the hemp in Colorado. They formulate the product in Colorado, and they create these organic all-plant formulations for anxiety, stress, inflammation, post-at-home workout, and get this, the sleep one. It's fantastic. So what makes them unique is they actually blend these plant components together. Things that the body has, like fats and vitamins, that actually increase the absorption and effectiveness. So you actually get to feel the benefit of these formulations, truly. The guy who founded the company, Mills is his name. He's coming on the show next week, and you're going to hear his story. He was in Peru. They tried to take out his colon, but he used cannabis oil to recover instead. I know, it sounds trippy, but wait till you hear his story. It's mineral. It's a beautiful company. Beautiful formulations. I love the balance. I love the sleep. It's mineralhealth.co. That's M-I-N-E-R-A-L-H-E-A-L-T-H dot C-O. And if you're listening to this podcast, and I know you are, you want to try their formulations, then use code CHICAGO15. That's Chicago spelled out in the number 15. That's C-H-I-C-A-G-O-1-5. You do that? You'll get 15% off your first order. That's 15%. That's only available for listeners of the podcast. So use that code. Thank you, Mineral. And thank yourselves, too, because you're going to love this stuff. Cannabis without the high. That's correct. All right, everybody. How's it going? That was Michael Girardi with... Wait, what did he call this song? Hold on. Shelter in Place. That's right. Michael sent us another song. Hey, how about we just keep the cap off that bottle the whole time? We can hear it unscrewing every time. So? It's a freaking <laughs> podcast from my attic with the brown line going by. Okay? You're not at WCPG anymore. Uh, on the dial. Uh, oh, that's the thing you're worried about? You got a freaking train going by. There was a leaf blower out there. A bed, the water bottle. You know, when I was in radio school, we were told, never open a bag of Fritos. Guys, can I just say this? That's a great rule. Let me just say this. When I broke in as a rookie, I had all these radio school geeks surrounding And after every show, they'd gather me in the studio. And I'm so happy. I just survived, all right? I'm eating my cheese and avocado sandwich. And there would be like Yoda. <laughs> Whatever he had to say. And then Dennis. Uh, you know, when I, I don't know if I told you this, but I graduated from radio school at the top of my class. And then Shroggy was still around there. Uh, you know, Ben, just a couple tips for my guy. But one of the things they told me, never open a bag on your on the air. They can hear the bag. <laughs> like, dude, man, it's freaking podcast. Everybody's at home. Nobody cares about the here we go. Mm. I seem to have struck a nerve there. Ah, that water's delicious. I tell you what. Good water in this house. <laughs> Good water in this house. 
<laughs> Good water in this house. <laughs> Your Vendorowski show for Wednesday, April 22nd. It's just moments away. But before we get into that, let's thank these unions for sponsoring this show. Unions like the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8. <laughs> The International, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9. I love that little thing. <laughs> the International yeah. Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150. And of course, today's Ben Jarofsky show for Wednesday, April 22nd is brought to you by our good friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. Yay for our teachers! <laughs> yay for our teachers! Uh, and yay it, for our song of the day. Isn't that right, Ben? Hit him with it! Uh, <clears throat> yeah, well, this is, you know, I watched uh, Dennis. I've already told him about this a couple times. I uh, watched the Prince special that was on TV last night. And so, in honor of Prince, I'm going to sing Raspberry Beret. Woo! The kind you get in a second hand. Love that song. Love Prince. Love Prince. The Ben Jarowski Show starts now. It is Wednesday, April 22nd. What's so funny? Just remembering all the radio geeks. Well, Ben, uh, did you know I was in radio for 20 years, though? And live from Ben's <laughs> attic, this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, it's the Chicago Reader and Indivisible Illinois' Lenny Monahoppenworth with attorney Jill Wine-Banks. now your host not a radio geek <laughs> chicago reader columnist ben jarofsky hello everybody ben jarofsky here we're calling drinking the joe biden kool-aid wednesday and here's why let me just say something about that one thing you just said though i don't know if the first part of what led to that we're going to keep it in oh, there we'll keep today. it in because it is pretty funny riff but i was a radio geek i just had no experience in radio when dennis plucked me out of nowhere this guy this one right here he plucked me you know kid even though he's younger than me he's like older than me in radio years you know like it's like a dog has certain years dennis is like a hundred in radio years he's like kid come here yes sir uh yes sir mr d uh i think you got a little something there I'm going to give you a shot. Right, D? It's pretty much how it happened. In a roundabout way. In a yeah. They threw me in a room. They gave me my... All right, talk, Ben. Hubba, hubba. What do you mean I got to talk? That's radio. It's true. After every show, they'd gather together. Well, what you might do differently is this. <laughs> Every, uh, have you thought about uh, not saying um and ah uh so much? <laughs> Yoda. He Yoda. Hated ums. Uh, uh. <laughs> so he told me... Uh, well, we're really cracking a fourth wall here. What's old boy's name that was before me, D? I forgot his name. Oh, Wayne Besson. No, 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 no. Come. Not the guy who had the show before. Literally the one who was before me before I went on. Tom You're Hartman here. <laughs> Tom Hartman. Hey, do you like gold? Tom Hartman here. Oh, my God, Dennis. Uh, it's an oligarchy. Tom, Tom Hartman. Uh, so, we'll be right back. So Yodi would tell me, uh, you know, uh, to, 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 uh, Tom Hartman never says um. So I'd be listening to the, you know, he never said, I'm like, oh my God, this guy's like the model. I was, man, I'd be counting the times he said, um, uh, Yoda, I actually heard Tom Hartman say, um, four times. Uh, uh. Anyway, radio advice from radio geeks, but I was a radio. I just, you know, until Dr. D plucked me out of obscurity and Tom Hartman here, don't open a bag of Cheetos <laughs> while you're on the air. 
Also, you like beats? <laughs> Remember when I uh, had an interview? Did I interview him or did he interview me? Uh, he interviewed you. And then I said, you know, uh, Tom, there's a guy. In Someone city. must have canceled on him or something. Yeah. No, no. No, no. Ooh, no, no. No, 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 no. You have a faulty memory, young man. All that reefer from back in the day. Uh, he was in the studio, remember? And it, well, but still, somebody probably uh, canceled him. Anyway, they brought me in. They interviewed me. And I go, hey, Tom, do you know that the guy over there in that room uh, does a great imitation of him? Yeah, you told Tom Hartman that I do an impression of him. And Hartman's like, really? Uh, well, they say uh, <laughs> imitation is the best form of flattery. Also, does he need gold? <laughs> uh, Dennis is the best. Come on, while we're at it. Who is the guy behind, after me? Pretend trivia. Norman Goldman. Do your Norman Goldman. <laughs> I miss Norman Goldman. He's not on the air anymore. I know. He's ac- he was excellent. Ah, Bertie. <laughs> Why? Why? Bertie. Why? That was like, I love Norman Goldman. I learned a lot from listening to him, by the way, Norman Goldman. He said, oh, I'm all the time. He didn't care about him. So, yeah. Norman Goldman's gone. We're gone. Yeah. Uh, well, the good Bill Press is gone. Wow. Now I'm going to start crying. Oh, that on. station sucks now. <laughs> Just kidding. Now? Wait a minute. Hold on. Let me have a drink of water. Mm. God, is that good? Where was I? Oh, yeah. This is what I wanted to talk about, D. I watched uh, Joe Biden on TV last night. He was on the James Corden show. You know James Corden, D? Yes, I do. Uh, he's the Brit. He's the <laughs> the British the British guy. Yeah, yes. the Brit- Hello, mate. And it uh, doesn't sound like that at all. Uh, and uh, Gordon, uh, excuse me, Corden is filming from his garage. Uh, Joe Biden was in his basement, basement, and we're in the attic. So that's just <laughs> everybody's making do in this age of the coronavirus. And uh, you know, D, I have a confession to make. What? Having seen Joe Biden. Uh, that's my Barack Obama imitation. I don't know. Sometimes I just fall into it. Uh, his name is Dennis, and uh, he's a producer, and he comes from Alton. Uh, uh, you can't eat a uh, <laughs> bag of Cheetos while you're on the radio. Do you like gold? Oh, my God. Could you imagine if Barack Obama did a stint at the old radio station uh, and uh, Yoda would then critique him? Uh, uh, Mr. President, you can't say um. Barack Obama's always saying um. Uh... Where was it? Oh, so I'm, you know what, D? Here we go. Hold on. Oh, nice. Mm. I'm drinking the Joe Biden Kool-Aid, everyone. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's back, guys. <laughs> I'm drinking the Joe Biden Kool-Aid. Give it about a month and he'll go, oh, man, no, I was never doing that. <laughs> I have been known to do that. Never. I never did that. I never said that. And they played. Oh, yeah, I guess I did. I say a lot of things. I got a complicated relationship with Joe Biden, as you may uh, know. Uh, back in the day, I was fascinated by him. I used to do an imitation of him. My friend and I, AJ, uh, AJ was a fellow political geek. We uh, would listen to Joe Biden as the chair of the ju- Judiciary Committee. This is the kind of weirdos we were in the 80s, D. And, uh, yeah, in the 80s. <laughs> just in the 80s. By the way, I wasn't even covering the stuff then. Okay, I would just, this is the kind of geek I am. I would be listening to judiciary hearings. Uh, and Joe Biden was the chair, the Senate, the chair of the Senate Judiciary Committee. And they were, this is when they were approving all the judges that like uh, Bush, Daddy Bush was uh, nominating and Reagan was nominating. And uh, so we would do imitations afterwards. And Joe Biden, Joe Biden's thing then, then uh, as now, he was really Mr. Conciliation. He was Mr. 
bipartisan. He was Mr. I'm going to be fair to everybody. And so we would just do these jokes because he was so conciliatory and nice to the nominees who the party hated. And I just, Clarence Thomas one is the one that really comes home because he'd be so, uh, Judge, would you like a bag of Fritos? Judge! And that's our joke, you know, because he would be so nice. Do you, do you have enough time to review? Do you want to take a little more time? They're Judge. chili cheese Fritos. Would you like a chili cheeseburger? Ju- no. Then, 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 like, Thomas was this gruff guy. Judge, would you like a back rub? No. <laughs> Just get on with the hearings, all right? By the way, I wish they never advanced Clarence Thomas. I'm thinking about this when I watched Joe Biden. I'll tell you what, Mitch McConnell wouldn't have advanced uh, a, Cla- the, the, uh, a, compra- a comparable nominee. Never in a million years which, would Mitch McConnell have advanced a Democratic uh, judicial nominee who is as to the left as Clarence Thomas is to the right. No way. But, you know, back then, it's like, let's give him a fair hearing. Judge! They asked him about abortion. He was like, oh, I don't have any opinion on it at all. Yeah, duh. Come on, man. Everybody knew you were anti-abortion, and as soon as you got on the bench, you're going to make one ruling after another to try to kill a choice? Yeah, everybody knew that, but no, I uh, or, or they would do the, uh, it's inappropriate for me to give my opinions on a uh, decision that may come before me. I don't want to be biased. Oh, like you're not biased already. Anyway, uh, so uh, they approved Clarence Thomas. We've had 30 years of right-wing, anti-union, anti-women, pro-Republican rulings ever since. So, you know, thanks for nothing, Joe. But I think I was going to say I was uh, drinking the Yeah, Joe take another Biden. sip, man. Oh, right, come on. on. Take another sip of that Kool-Aid. Hold on. Love that cap. By the way, before I go a little further, let me just say something. Leftover from yesterday. Okay. Oh, what? Hitting your (laughs) with your pen six times? That that was from yesterday. Uh, Let me just say this right now, young man. I have not gotten over how mean the last dance was to Jerry Krause. Can I just say this one more time? All right. You know, Jerry Krause, I, I know, I know, I know. Get over it, Ben. Get over it. All right. Jerry Krause, the former general manager of the Chicago Bulls. Uh, he's He passed on a couple years ago. I think three years now. He's not around to defend himself. So they got together. They go, hey, let's make him the villain. He's not here to answer him. <laughs> they just rip it up. And the reason I'm thinking about this, D, is, again, I've been barraged. There's all these stories throughout the country. People didn't even follow the Bulls in the 90s. Moaning about Jerry Cross. Oh, wow, what a terrible ger- general manager. Rick Morrissey, who writes a column for the Sun-Times, a sports column for the Sun-Times. Hold on, I have it right here. Who should know better. Here, everybody, see the Get column. a look at that newspaper, <laughs> listeners. <laughs> this is yesterday's newspaper. I still have it. i got to do a better job of cleaning up the office day. You're right. Yeah, You're right when you say that. Like a pig's dying here. Look who's number one for breaking up the Bulls. Kraus gets top billing among Chicago's all-time sports villains. Come on, Rick Morris. There's a picture of Jerry Kraus. I thought that was Norman Goldman. <laughs> There's some similarity. Well, uh, Bernie. Wait. D, help me out. I, I forgot. And I really did forget. Was Norman for Bernie? No, uh, no, he was not. No, okay. He was not for Bernie, even in the primary? Uh, maybe during the primary. Then when, you know, oh, vote blue no matter who. Why? <laughs> just just bat yelling at callers, boy. You, you know, he's a really nice man, though. I, uh, yeah, he's, he's awesome. He's like, an awesome person, guy. Yeah, he's great. He's a great guy. And, hope uh, he's doing well. I hope he's doing well. Yes, I hope he's doing well. And uh, I hope he gets his show back because I, I just found him. First of all, he's really smart. 
Yeah. He, he knew the law inside and out, and he was very entertaining and very passionate. I'd be walking through the hallways uh, after my show, and I'd hear, why, why? <laughs> yeah, he's real smart. So smart that I think he said, to hell with this. I'm just relaxing. <laughs> Smoking a doobie. Just some a doobie, man. Chilling out. Oh, uh, yeah, you know, man, <laughs> back in the day. Well, no, he did not smoke reefer. Come yes, he made yeah. No, he did. He did? Yeah, he talked about it a lot. Big fan you are, Ben. <laughs> I mean, wait a minute. You're mixing him up with Hartman. No, they all smoke pot. <laughs> anyway, whoa, Jerry Krause. So yeah, they're vilified. So Rick, Rick Morrissey wrote this column. He's the number one villain. I just got to take time out. Time out, Rick Morrissey. Oh, still sports, huh? No, I, okay, just, oh, D, uh, my wife made some coffee. You're kidding. Do you want to go look at it? <laughs> it's a really nice cup. Yeah, it's downstairs. Fool me once. <laughs> I fell for that yesterday. Anyway. Just Rick Morrissey. Have you ever heard of Ryan Pace, the general manager of the Bears? He traded up to take Mitch Trubisky, and you call Krause, who delivered six championships? Chicago, the biggest villain in Chicago. I'm telling you right now, T, I've had it up to here with this Jerry Krause bashing, okay? By the way, I cannot wait for episodes three and four of The Last Dance. And one more time, a thank you to Frank. Listener Frank, without hey Frank. him, I wouldn't have known I could watch it. I'd be like, huh, what did they say? What was it about? Instead, I got to watch it. Where was I? Oh, Joe Biden. Thank you, D. You're welcome. Uh, you know, <clears throat> I thought he did a pretty good job. Did you see it, uh, D, the, the interview? Did you see that, Bunny Jeff? No, I did not. Uh, well, you know, I'll, I'll give you the summary for you. Uh, you're welcome. And uh, I thought he did a pretty good job. You know, and I, mean, and I admit the bar is really low. With Joe Biden, the, the the whole issue is, you know, is he coherent? Uh, did he answer the questions more or less and in a, I don't know, an understandable way? Yeah, he was pretty coherent. Uh, so, you know, okay, that's something. Uh, and he even did, D, you'll be happy to know this, he even did a duck and a dodge, all right? Now, a duck and a dodge is a hard thing to do if you're incoherent. <laughs> You know what I'm saying, D? You yeah. got to like be a little I'm, quick on your feet. I mean, dude, just walking's hard. Yeah. <laughs> right. Alone, ducking and dodging. By the way, I've gotten really good. I I have to say, can I give myself a shout out? This is not a radio school skill. I'm really good at social distancing while walking. Really good at that. Oh, there's someone coming down the street. I'll turn left. Wait, there's someone coming here uh, from my left. So what I'll do is I'll back up and go around and I've avoided two. Uh-oh, here comes a car going the other way. I'm really good at ducking up. I feel like Gail Sayers. Oh, that's ancient sports reference. I have to come up with Barry Sanders. That's still a little ancient for the millennials. Ben wants six <laughs> listeners today, apparently. Gail Sayers, one of the greatest running backs of all time. Show some respect, youngsters. Anyway, where was I? Oh, um, so Joe Biden did a duck and a dodge, much like Gail Sayers. <clears throat> so let's, um, the question from Corden was about uh, Operation Gridlock, or as we like to call it, Operation Gridlock. And that's the one where, you know, uh, thousands of people got in their cars and drove to downtown Lansing, Michigan, to protest the stay-at-home order uh, by the governor. They want to open up the state. They're Trump, Trump supporters. And it's come out now that the, uh, the movement's largely funded by uh, conservative political action groups. That's cool. Hey, man, it's all about politics in this country. Of course, people die because of it. They, well, you know, I guess they really believe in Donald Trump. But uh, anyway, it's growing. The movement's growing. There have been uh, protests, not just in Michigan, but I think there, Wisconsin, and uh, I think there was North Carolina. They're all over the country. 
and uh, it's worked. Some uh, Governor uh, Kemp of Georgia has is already moving to opening up the state. We'll see how this goes. Uh, so Corden asked Joe Biden about this, and this was a moment where Joe Biden could have really ripped Republicans. He could have gone after him hard. He could have gone after the uh, like the Tea Party, which is supporting it. He could have gone after uh, all these right-wing uh, radio show hosts who are promoting it. He, he uh, TV show Fox personalities could have gone strong. D. Instead, what did he do? He ducked and dodged. <laughs> <laughs> Huh? What? Uh, <laughs> he said, <laughs> "I didn't hear you." <laughs> He's got a great Joe Biden. I like not seeing the interview, so I can just uh, you know make up his uh, duck and dodge. Huh? What's that? <laughs> oh, my wife's calling me. Oh <laughs> uh, God! Yeah, <clears throat> this is actually an imitation of another person who we will not name uh, from uh, the Sun Times. We love the Sun Times dearly, but Dennis says his imitation of a guy at the Sun Times, and he always does. Always cracks me up. <laughs> Always cracks me up. He does the bit. What? What? Damn it! What? Hurry up! What do you want? And so now he just transferred it over to Biden. Huh? <laughs> anyway, so the question, you know, so he had a perfect opportunity just to rip the Republicans, but that's not Joe Biden's style. He's a we're all in it together kind of guy. He's a all when they go low, we go high kind of guy. Uh, and so what he did was he said, whoa, oh, that's my Joe Biden imitation. Awful. You, you know, I know it's terrible. Your Obama's better than your Biden. Uh, 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 yeah, maybe not. Your Biden's, <laughs> Biden's a little better than that. <laughs> no. uh, peanut butter cup. Uh, is that what I'm supposed to say when I do uh, Obama? Yeah, that's what Dana Carvey said. The, the best uh, thing to say for the Obama impression is peanut butter cup. Peanut butter cup. Uh, peanut butter cup. So where was I? Oh, Biden! You said where was I about twenty times now. Today. There's a lot of yeah, there's a lot of distractions here. Train just went by, you know. So they the duck and the dodge. So instead of ripping the Republicans for what they're doing, which is potentially endangering people's lives, uh, what he did was say, "Well, it's not an either or thing." And then yeah, figure, oh, he's going to head into a discussion about how you can open the economy. In a way which preserve lives, but you have to be very vigilant about preserving lives. I thought he was going to give an explanation. No, 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 no. He didn't bother with that. He then quickly went to into uh, uh, explaining one more time how much appreciation and gratitude he had for frontline workers, and he named them all: doctors and police officers and firefighters and nurses and people who work in the. Um, Grocery stores, the checkout lines, et cetera, and so forth, who, who are doing essential service and have to be there, and they cannot, uh, they cannot be in their basements or their attics or their garages. And my wife was listening. She goes, well, he uh, avoided the question. I go, oh, no. That is what we call a duck in a dodge. He, what he did very skillfully was he answered the question he wanted Corden to ask as opposed to the one that Corden asked and by doing that, he avoided saying anything nasty about Republicans. Now, part of me wishes he had ripped the Republicans, D. Part of me w wishes that he'd just gone at him hard. That's not Joe Biden. He's Mr. I get along with everyone. Mr. Hey, Judge, would you like a pizza? Judge, would you like a back rub? So that's, you know, that's the man the Democrats uh, elected. You know, he kind of reminded me a little bit he, uh, of uh, J.B. Pritzker. J.P. Pritzker is the master 
very smoothly dancing around the question. You notice that? Remember that, Dean? Big problems yeah. become big problems oh, yeah. when you let small problems sit. Hold on. Let me write that down. Big problems, small problems sit. Yeah. Uh, he's the master of it. We called him. What did we call him? Sugar Ray Pritzker? Yep. Remember back in the day? Uh, sometimes I would call him uh, J.B. Travolta. Uh, so, uh, Joe Biden, show me a little something. Joey Travolta. That's what we're calling him. We got a great show today, everybody. <laughs> Jill Winebanks will be here. I cannot wait to interview Jill Winebanks. Uh, she, of course, uh, is the author of uh, Watergate, The Watergate Girl. She's a former prosecutor. She uh, prosecuted some of Nixon's henchmen uh, for their Watergate crimes back in the day, in the 70s. And then you see her on MSNBC uh, talking about Donald Trump's henchmen and all his no-good Nick stuff he's doing. So we'll be talking about Trump. Oh, we'll be probably, I, to, I think I told her we're going to do the three Bs. Her book, she just came out with a book. As I said, uh, Barr, William Barr, uh, the head of the Justice Department, and Biden. She loves Biden, Dennis, all right? So don't make any Biden jokes, okay? Uh, you do the same. <laughs> hey, I'm the one drinking the Kool-Aid. Hold on. For right now. Yeah, how long does the Kool-Aid usually last? Then I start complaining. Oh, I could be Bernie. I'll get over the Bernie thing, folks. I'll get over it. It'll take me a little while. Anyway, uh, plenty of political talk ahead. Before we do that, the young man from Alton, the man they call Dr. Doobie, with the news. Hello. Before we find out what's happening in Chicago and or Illinois this afternoon, well, we're going to do two things. First, we're going to go to the live stream chat room. You guys are uh, on fire today, all right? So let's just go here. Uh, everybody's talking Biden. Uh, yeah, we got a lot of WCPT talk going on on the live. Yeah, we're going to not talk about we that. We avoid that. Yeah, CPT's got enough attention for the day. <laughs> they sure have. <laughs> who is that? I don't know. <laughs> I think you know who it is. Like, oh, you know, when I started in radio. <laughs> oh, bro. Come on, bro. <laughs> All right. Oh to inside God. baseball. Oh, yeah. All right. I'm trying to find your comments <laughs> here. Oh, uh, actually. Uh, oh, okay. No, that's a WCPT <laughs> comment okay. as well. Oh, Jim asks, and mm -hmm. I was wondering as well. I know well, you have the Prince mug. Oh, yeah. I've drank out of it quite a bit. Uh -huh. um, and the WCPT days, you had the Prince flask. You still st have the flask. You still have the flask? You want to go run and get it? No. Okay. Where is it, though? It's down. I know just where it is. I think I know just where it is. Maybe uh, when we go on break. I love the Prince flask, yes. Mm -hmm. I have them both. I bought them from a Kaleidoscope, a little uh, art store in Los Angeles. Love you, Kaleidoscope. And uh, I haven't been there in a while, obviously. I've been stuck in this attic for a while. But, uh, yeah, they have a lot of Prince stuff. I, I love Prince. Raspberry beret? Mm-hmm. Shout out to Kyle. Kyle says, I saw Biden on TV too last night. Then I realized I was really watching an old episode of Tales from the Crypt. And I was looking at the Crypt Keeper. <laughs> okay, Biden jokes. He was more or less, you know, articulate. I thought he did a pretty good job. I know the bars love. Uh, he, oh, my God. There was this one thing at the end. I just got to tell you about this. So have you ever seen the Corden interviews? Uh, Dan, have you ever seen the Corden show since he's gone? Into yeah, yeah. Garage? I saw his interview with Nancy Pelosi where she's showing everybody ice cream. You know, I, I love ice cream. I got to, you know, once again, I thought it was so cool. Finally on top of things. Finally watching something when everybody else is watching it. The, the last dance. Thanks to Frank. Thanks to Frank. 
And it turns out I missed Nancy Pelosi and James Corden. It was like a week ago. Yeah, and you know I love Nancy Pelosi, right? So I should go back and watch that and I could then talk about it. Uh, and then you'll be like, oh, man, that happened two weeks ago. Uh, but anyway, so they, they have this thing where they're, uh, what is it, show and tell, where they're supposed to show and tell something that's in the room with them, and whatever room that they're isolated in. And uh, Biden took this picture. It, you got to see it. It was so heavy. He goes, it's kind of heavy. I can't live. He like bends over and he lifts up. It's this huge picture of, that's framed. And it's not even from the room. It's him and his. <laughs> anyway, I thought it was pretty funny. Joe, Biden. Joe, just stuff in the room. Like we're doing it here, D. My, well, show and tell. What would I do? Uh, uh, here are these old cards from. <laughs> okay. Enough WCPT 820 where facts matter. Talk, right? Sorry. Showing his card. WCPT. Uh, do you want to go back there? You're missing it. Okay. <laughs> no. I'm, I'm, I'm good in the attic. Thank you. If you're on the live stream chat, weigh in. Uh, are you riding with Biden these days? How you feeling about old Joey B? Or just weigh in with whatever and speaking of weighing in our good friend doogie sent us a voicemail ben that's right people we have a phone number wait time out what have you heard this no i haven't heard you're just gonna play something you haven't heard it's gonna play something we haven't heard Uh, this is like not radio school okay i know i teach this in radio school i went to podcast school uh a few like a few months back actually so this is this is fine in podcast school all right so uh it's it's our good friend doogie he sent us a voicemail um doogie knows not to curse he's a radio guy Uh, so uh, let's see let's hear what uh doogers had to say i want to look for our number real quick if you want to call what if he gives out some information that's like doogie you're listening on the live stream chat right now is it cool if we just play your message we haven't heard it yet way in yeah way in i I feel a little more comfortable let me give everybody our phone number here 708-658-4788 that number again seven i know a lot of eight seven zero eight six five eight four seven eight eight reach out to the ben jarofsky show uh who knows maybe we'll uh, have a call in so ben loves when we take calls he, <laughs> I misses actually that. he loves get, that you, I mean, you, you're talking i'm talking about callers like people callers not the guests that you schedule to be oh. on the phone oh you, yeah you the old calls. days the old days yeah the call remember the call portion of the show that was uh, you know, i'll tell you what folks we're really talking about the old days this guy to my right, the master, and I mean master of getting people to call up on a, uh, you know, oh, a, call to action. Yeah, call yeah, to action. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what do you want to talk about? You heard what's on our mind. What's on your mind? You want to Hillary Clinton during the Hillary Bernie days? Oh yeah, for sure. Ah, rumor has it uh, Hillary called Bernie a douchebag. How do you feel about that? Seven seven three. So, okay. All right. Let's let's listen to our voicemail from right. Doogie. Guys, you can do the same thing. Send us a voicemail. Prank us. Give us an impression, make fun of us, whatever. It's content, all right? 708-658-4788. All right, now let's listen to Doogie's voicemail. Hopefully it'll work. Hey, this is Doogie. You know, I had a thought. Maybe you start taking calls at the end of the show or play voicemails at the end of the show or interact when the show is ending early. So we can take it to 3 o'clock or maybe 3.30 like we used to. Right in the old studio. Okay, so what I wanted to say was it's not about Joe Biden. It, with the, it wasn't a level playing field is what I'm trying to say. 
And I'm pissed because MSNBC and the DNC, the DNC conspired with all the mainstream media, including ABC The View, MSNBC, to completely destroy Bernie's campaign from the beginning. And they did it in 2016, and now they did it in 2020. So it wasn't a level playing field between Bernie and Joe. And that's what I'm pissed about. Because they all did this whole propaganda thing about electability. And that's just BS. They're scared about 1972 again. And, you know, it's the principle of the situation. Now, I think Bernie pulled out early so that we can, like, exhale. And a few months, three months down the road, we're going to be like, you know what? <sighs> This is who we have to go with because I'm starting to feel that way, even though <laughs> really I'm still through with the DNC. But uh, I don't know. Uh, I want to pause right. it right there. What are your thoughts? How cool is that? First off, we got a phone call. We yeah. got a voicemail. Uh, interesting suggestion that he began with. We take calls at the end uh, of the show. It's, it's like the old days, take uh, calls, which uh, Dennis and I are going to have one of our famous uh, post-show meetings, uh, which or pre-show meeting, I, would, I think this would be a post-show meeting to discuss this. What about present show meeting? Uh, no, yeah, we're doing it right now on the air. Well, <laughs> think about that, uh, taking calls. Uh, and uh, in terms of what he had to say about uh, the DNC, Bernie, and Biden, uh, Doogie, I, listen, I, I'm still not completely over it. It takes a while to work. This is something my friends of the Biden persuasion uh, don't really understand because they've always been on the winning side if you're a dem you're on the way you control the democratic party so people like me you know the lefties are just we we're just supposed to go along for the ride and vote for whoever you tell us to vote for that and you know i, I pretty much go along for the ride uh guilty as charged so but it takes a while to get over it you're not just gonna end the campaign and fall in love with the nominee that you've been opposing the whole time and not, or you had trouble accepting the whole time with you, Doogie. It takes a while to work through it, but my friends of the Joe Biden persuasion are like, all right, hurry up. You got five minutes to get over it. Now get, get online. <laughs> Wait a minute. By the way, can you imagine it was the other way around? Oh, my God. Can we just for a moment, if Bernie had won and the Dems like <laughs> they'd still be crying about something he's so mean nobody cares about they'd be Ron would be I went on a bike ride and went to Michigan and nobody asked me about health care you know so they'd be complaining they'd be like where's Chris Matthews when we need him <laughs> oh god Chris Matthews remember Monroe defending Chris yeah. Matthews oh, he's really a good guy uh, so I, it takes a while and, and Doogie, you're obviously working your way through it and I'm working my way through it. It's, uh, you know, like last, I watched Biden on the James Corden show. I said, hey, not bad. You know, drink a little of the Biden Kool-Aid. I'm going to interview Jill Weinbank. She's going to tell me the virtues of Joe Biden. So, you know, slowly David Seaton comes on. He's going to tell me about the virtues of Joe Biden. Monroe Anderson comes on. He's going to tell me about the virtues of Joe Biden. You know, we have a Joe Biden guest on the show, do you? Right? And listeners, I can promise to you right now to help balance out this program, I will never drink the Biden Kool-Aid. How about that, huh? That's correct. <laughs> it's true. Hey, let's listen to the rest of Doogie's uh, voicemail. He's there's got more? Yeah. Okay. But wait, there's more. Let's vote blue no matter who. And then I really kind of got off of that because I'm pissed off at the DNC because they are not listening 
to most the majority of the people. And then now we're kind of like, you know, we got to like, just kind of like fall in line. And I don't want to fall in line because I have principles. And I've always maintained about uh, being uh, loyal. I've, I've had, I've maintained about uh, always being about what I believe in. But at this point, I just want to go back to normal. And I think that's what the DNC wanted in the first place. <sighs> I don't know. Mm. Uh, he wants to go back to normal. I'm not quite sure uh, what he means by that, uh, going back to normal, just accepting who the DNC wants. Listen, uh, I've said this countless times. I'll say it again. Uh, it's clear to me, after two cycles, that Bernie's ceiling with Democratic voters is, I don't know, 35%, let's say 40% to be generous. It was a little less this time than last time uh, because well, different circumstances, people were really freaking out over the whole electability issue. I've struggled with the electability issues uh, from the get-go. I feel that uh, Democratic voters are behaving less like Democrats and more like pundits, and uh, they listen too much. I've said this, I just got finished saying this yesterday, listen too much to the talking heads on a weekend and they start repeating talking points that they hear. And when I hear Democrats echoing the talking points of Chris Christie, I know we've gone too far. And uh, so for instance, I talked about it yesterday. I thought that Wisconsin was a great victory and some of my friends of the Dem persuasion are going, well, you know, uh, <laughs> Donald Trump wasn't on the ticket. I mean, you guys are echoing Republican talking points. You sound like Republican. So I'm with you, Doogie. It, it, there's too much of this obsession with electability. Republicans didn't care about electability. They nominated a guy who everybody said was unelectable. And guess what? He's president of the United States. Freaking lunatic. So, you know, Dems are obsessed with electability. <clears throat> Joe Biden clearly is the anti-Trump in every sense of the world. If, if, uh, word. if you could have seen him on the, the Corden show, you would know what I'm talking about. Uh, his tremendous empathy for people who are in difficult situations. Donald Trump has no empathy whatsoever. It's all about Donald Trump. And uh, so, yeah, so the Democrats wanted to go in the complete opposite direction, and that's what they did. And I cannot blame it on the DNC. Uh, I cannot blame it on, what, Saturday and Sunday morning or Sunday morning talk show hosts. I can't blame it on Christie or Rom. I'd love to, but I really can't. Democratic voters made up their made their minds up, and um, I was in the minority. D once again, <laughs> it's the story of my life as a voter. So uh, I I I'm not a big believer in uh, conspiracy theories. I think the voters made the decision that they wanted to make. They thought that Joe Biden was uh, more electable than Bernie Sanders, and that is that. Wait, Joe Biden would like to weigh in on this. Play the radio. Make sure the television, the, excuse me, make sure you have the record player on at night. The, the, the phone, make sure the kids hear words. Uh, Doogie is on the live stream chat now. He says, what I mean is that Bernie always uh, been consistent on his issues he believes in and not playing both sides uh, like Biden and everyone else. And I've been the same way, unapologetically, consistently, but going back to normal, meaning just stability and being able to watch the news. Oh, okay. Yeah, I hear what you're saying, man. But hey, Doogie, uh, you're the man. Yeah, Thank that. you so much. That was a, I liked that segment. I thought that sounded cool. Be like Doogie. Send us a voicemail, 708-658-4788.
eight. If we get enough voicemails, what we'll do at the end of the show is we'll play voicemails. How about that? I think we can uh, meet Doogie in the middle there. Yeah. 708-658-4788. I tried to get some kind of cool number like ah, 708 Benny J. And it wouldn't <laughs> let me do it. So 708-658-4788. All right. Let's find out uh, what's going on in the news here. huh? Today, J.B. Pritzker. Oh, take a guess. Yes. 230. Thompson Center, his uh, coronas, uh, coronavirus press briefing will be taking place. Listen and take notes. A uh, quick uh, recap of Tuesday's local COVID-19 news. Governor J.B. Pritzker uh, signaled Tuesday that uh, we should brace for a stay-at-home order that extends through May. Pritzker said that the stay-at-home order is working thus far, saying, quote, it's true. It's working. See, he said it. <laughs> well, it must be true if he said so, D. <laughs> Pritzker went on to say, quote, the peak is still yet to come. To remove it entirely is to simply open everything back up to infection. Pritzker says he and his team are, quote, working hard to try to make changes to the stay-at-home order, which, uh, I don't know, they're, they're suggestions, really, aren't they, the stay-at-home order? Mm-hmm. What do you mean? Their suggestions? Staying at home is a suggestion, or is yeah, like order? you know, social distance. It's mm -hmm. all suggestions, but yeah. not really laws. Nobody, I know nobody's getting arrested as far yeah. as I know. So they're working on what to suggest, I guess. But Pritzker and his team aren't quite ready uh, to announce what will be in store. By the way, I have to say that people in Chicago, anyway, are really abiding by uh, the uh, the order or it's the, the suggestion. You know, there. I have to say, people in Chicago. Nowadays, more masks than I've ever seen. And like I said, I used to be the only one ducking and dodging. Now everybody's ducking and dodging. You know, we have to thank for that, don't you? <laughs> Our mayor. <laughs> we'll get to her in a little while. Mayor Lightfoot, I'm really Okay, I'm going to say nothing but nice things to you because many of my north side neighbors are really mad at me because I had a few critical things to say about Lori Lightfoot. So I'm going to really try to just be positive, positive, positive and feel my inner... North side, okay? Simultaneously, Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot was on the same page. Uh -huh. Lightfoot said that April 30th is, quote, no longer a viable date to end the stay-at-home order. She expects the stay-at-home order to go through sometime in May, and it could certainly go into June. What do you think about that, Ben? Doing oh this until God. June. I think you would love it. But uh, I missed the studio, man. I was just thinking about, I was talking about uh, with Jill Wine Banks before we did the show about uh, how much I miss being able to, you know, just look across the table at somebody. And I just, whatever. I miss the old studio, walking into the Sun Times. Hey, everybody, what's going on? Oh, this guy is so loud. Oh, Lord, that guy. <laughs> Loud dude. Uh, there were some really nice people at the Sun Times that, uh, you know, I really miss them. And uh, I miss Bandana Bob. That was my dude. Oh he was man, cool. I love Bandana Dennis, Bob. what's up, man? <laughs> yeah, no, Denise, 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 love yeah. you very much. So, uh, and uh, you know, like Ramana, not being able to see her across the. So I do want to go back to the, our old uh, beloved little studio, and uh, I have a feeling we will just have to be patient. Right, D? Just got to be patient. So do you think we're going to, uh, another Trump check's coming? Yes, there will be another Trump. I still haven't got my first one yet. <laughs> <laughs> another one? Where's mine? I'm broke. <laughs> 
Yeah, and I'm waiting for my Trump check. You know, they, they, they listen to the podcast. I don't give that guy a tr- check. They gave you a check, man. That's because that's I call you Dr. Doobie. They don't know your real name. You should be happy I call you Dr. Doobie. Thank God you call me Dr. Doobie. I know. Right now, they're, they're looking, where's that Dr. Doobie? Don't send him a check. So it can go until June. Uh, like you said, Chicago. Wow. I can see the city of Chicago, you know. Gee, uh, we'll be in this room in June. Please, don't remind me. You know, and it gets really hot in here, oh, by the way. awesome. And we'll have to open the windows. Awesome. Here comes the train. Our good friend Pat Rod weighed in on the live stream chat. Uh, he gave us some bad news here. Uh, dude, please, hang in there. Uh, he said he got a positive corona test. So, oh, no. Uh, dude, hang in there, my man. Um Pat Rod, this one's for He likes when I do the bong rip. So, Pat Rod, this one's for you, pal. Hold on. <laughs> oh, that's for you, Pat Rod. Man, stay safe, stay strong, stay healthy. Yeah. Serious stuff. All right, moving on to the news here. Chicago did cancel some of its biggest summer events Tuesday. Uh, the Gospel, Fe- uh, Gospel Fest, Blues Fest, and the House Music Conference have all been 86th. But mm. Chicago runners, don't worry. Organizers of the Chicago Marathon on Wednesday reiterated that they are still planning to host the 26.2-mile run in October. Phew, thank God. I was That was the one thing on my mind there is that marathon. I, You know, they're awfully optimistic. <laughs> I mean, it's day by day, you know, Um because I've heard some of the talk being that there could be a second wave. You've probably heard this, D. Uh, mm-hmm. the, like we feel, we think we've passed the, the danger point, and all of a sudden there's a second wave. So I hope, I hope we can have the marathon. But it just, it, you know, it's funny. When I see um, TV shows or movies uh, pre-coronavirus, and I'm watching the, the way people interact. We talked about this already, I think. It's like, oh, my God, I can't imagine that, you know? And now, like uh, the, the Prince show, the Prince show that I uh, talked about earlier that aired last night on CBS, that was filmed, I want to say, in February, right around the time of the Grammys. And, you know, everybody's together dancing, and, uh, you know, they're dancing together, holding hands and hugging and just like an ancient time. So it's just a notion of what is it? 30,000 runners co- congregated in that little space at the start of the race. Can't even imagine that D. And if it does get canceled, don't worry. You can always just open up your door and start running. <laughs> boom. Yeah. Same thing. Right. Yeah. And then just give money to a foundation and boom, you did the same thing. Uh, all right. And uh, let's see here uh, from uh, more uh, news today. We've been under the stay-at-home order for over a month now. It's the 22nd of April. To all of our hard-up listeners, I hate to bring this up. Maybe you're finally getting adjusted to your hard-up, broke-ass quarantine lifestyle. <laughs> My apologies if so. But, hey, yeah, it's time to pay the damn rent again. Or oh, is no. it? Or is it? Yeah. I mean, it probably is, but just listen to the, fo- listen to the following story from the Chicago Tribune. Lawmakers are rushing to pass legislation that would suspend rent and mortgage payments during the coronavirus pandemic while also keeping landlords and lenders afloat. Advocates and a growing number of politicians have urged Governor J.B. Pritzker to use his emergency powers through his ongoing disaster proclamation to repeal the state's preemptive ban on rent regulation. Action Pritzker has repeatedly said that he cannot legally 
take. They are also pushing for the governor to put a moratorium on rent and mortgage payments for the duration of his stay-at-home order in three months after it is lifted. Uh, They come armed with a legal opinion arguing that such action is within the governor's powers during a declared disaster, either by issuing a statewide order or leaving it up to the municipalities to decide. Ben Jarofsky, what say you? Will this legislation suspending rent and mortgage payments uh, during the pandemic pass? No, I don't believe so. I, I, uh, J.P. Pritzker has been very cautious about exercising more power uh, than it's clear he has. The one we talked about a lot, D, was he refused to uh, postpone the uh, March 17th primary. Remember that? We talked about that a lot, the mixed messages that were sent. Uh, Stay at home, but go vote, you know. Uh, but he did encourage, to his credit, that people vote uh, by absentee on, uh, by, through the mail. So he wasn't like the Republicans in Wisconsin. Um, so I don't think he'll—I I think he'll be cautious and he won't move uh, on this one. I, that said, I don't know how—I'm really with the, the renters on this one. If you don't have a job, if you don't have money coming in, how could you pay more in rent? You know, I mean, how could you pay your rent? And I, I admit, I, I admit, this is my bias. Uh, my wife is a small business owner, and she's a renter, and her, her business has been shut down. No money coming in, as in zero. So how could you pay the rent? I mean, everybody. You just got to give a little. And the, the federal government, even in the age of Trump, is kicking in more money. Now, that first program for the small businesses was so scandalous and so corrupt. It was like a, a Chicago TIF program, no oversight. And so they gave the money to Ruth's Chris and other and Potbelly and other big time operators. So maybe, you know, there's so much outcry. Maybe the second time around, they'll, they'll be a little fair and just and so some people who really need the money get it who aren't big time operators but uh, i really d i don't know i i just think that all of us should show some restraint if you're in a tough bind and you're you're uh your your renters in a really tough bind you should on your own just give them a little slack that's my view on it all right and finally today chicago mayor Lori lightfoot presided over wednesday's virtual city council oh, yeah. zoom meeting oh yeah but apparently it didn't last too long. The following comes from the Chicago Sun-Times and one of Chicago Magazine's 50 Most Powerful Women in Chicago, Fran the Woman Spielman. Mayor Lori Lightfoot on Wednesday abruptly adjourned a virtual city council meeting after a pair of aldermen used a maneuver to delay consideration of an ordinance that would grant her expanded spending and contracting authority for the duration of the coronavirus pandemic. Before I go any further here, this is a follow-up story. Ben, why don't you walk us through exactly what went down this morning? All right. Uh, Well, I don't know exactly what went down this morning, but I know I could give you the preamble leading up to what went down this morning. By the way, does it say in that story, before I do, who the two aldermen were? Does it name the two aldermen who made Absolutely. We have Ray Lopez. Ben, of what ward? Oh, come on. Come on, 15th. That's correct. And this is an easy one. Carlos Ramirez Rosa, of which ward? Wow, the uh, the 35th. So Carlos tag team with Ray Lopez. That's interesting. (laughs) Uh, They're usually not uh, allies. All right. uh, This, I love talking Chicago politics. First of all, I'm like obsessive about Chicago politics, folks. I've been only covering it for 50,000 years. But secondly, uh, since the uh, coronavirus pandemic, it's it's like, you know, I don't get a lot of it. You know what I'm saying, Dean? It's like, oh, yeah, my beloved Chicago politics. I get to talk about it and think about it. And we had. I mean, a- you can only talk about haircut gate for uh, so long, you know, <laughs> almost got kicked out of the neighborhood for that. The other day I was walking down the street. Some uh, north sider came up to Ben. Come here. 
I heard you said something uh, not that so nice happen. about uh, our mayor, our beloved mayor, and a haircut. Don't you ever say anything bad about the mayor. People love her on the north side of Chicago. D. I, I didn't say it. I love her, too. I love her haircut. Uh, all right. So the uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot decided that because we're in the middle of this uh, pandemic, because we're in the middle of this crisis, because uh, we're having this critical moment in not just the history of Chicago, but the history of the world, uh, she needed unlimited powers, basically, uh, to <laughs> dole out money however she wanted. And, uh, and so she made this move uh, to have the city council uh, sanction her ability uh, to what? award contracts without their approval uh, to appropriate money without uh, her approval in these desperate times the mayor needs more power than she usually has now d i'm a little suspect of this and I, i'm going to try to say this as respectfully as i can so i don't offend well, good any luck my, my north side listeners who love Lori lightfoot okay uh, but I don't see how this pandemic warrants giving the mayor more power than she already has. The mayor of the city of Chicago already has a lot of power. And there was one hilarious uh, a quote in today's Sun-Times story about, okay, so before today's city council meeting, there was a vote in the budget uh, committee on this proposal. And to her credit, Mayor Lori Lightfoot, in the face of opposition, backed off and made some changes, okay? Uh, still, I think she gave herself more power than was necessary. And when, and in terms of talking about the changes she was forced to make, uh, Lori Lightfoot said, I'm quoting, aldermen always push back. That's what their job should be, the mayor said. And I'm like, uh, I don't know what city uh, you're talking about, but usually aldermen roll over, they don't push back. And that's been my big objection to aldermen during the time of Mayor Richard M. Daley and the time of uh, Rahm Emanuel. In fact, the only time I ever saw Alderman consistently resist was back in the 80s when it was white Alderman resisting Harold Washington because he was black and they wanted to uh, get a white guy in. So it was racist. Uh, what a city I live in. Anyway, so um, I just thought it was just too much of, of an unnecessary power move by Lori Lightfoot. I felt that the city council, if she can make a compelling argument for why she has to have an emergency expenditure uh, the city council will go along with her. I don't think there would be any trouble getting 26 yes votes out of the Chicago City Council for anything the mayor wants to do. So I just thought this was an unnecessary uh, power move by a public official who already has another enough power. It was approved uh, yesterday at the budget committee by a vote of 26 to 10, uh, excuse me, 23 to 10. So I thought they would approve it today at the city council meeting, but no, D, apparently not, huh? No, apparently not. And uh, I don't know, I think you kind of covered that pretty well, that story there. Uh, we'll be talking about this story more throughout the week. Ben, Joe Biden is live right now holding an Earth Day town hall on climate change. Yes. With Al Gore. Yes. You know why I say yes? Because he's got to get out there more. None of this, I'm um, just hiding for the first week. Remember I got in trouble with all the Biden bros, Dean? I know, I know. <laughs> By the way, can I just say something going back to the uh, city council thing? Dave Gloetz, our ace city council reporter, Every podcast has to have one. Uh, was preparing to prepare, uh, prepare, preparing to prepare how about that, a uh, special report on the city council meeting. And he was the one who broke the story to me, D, because he called up to say, 
that the meeting had been postponed till Friday. We will have that special report. We just won't have it for the weekend. We were going to do it as a weekend drop, the, uh, so we won't have it for the weekend. Instead, wheeling and dealing and maneuvering, Monroe Anderson will be a bonus feature over the weekend. So Monroe agreed to be a weekend bonus drop, and Dave Glowatz will be on next week with his special city council report. Jim Irwin was wondering that on the live stream chat. Where's Monroe? Hey, dude, it's a it's a bonus. You got to go download it. You go find it at Chicago Sun-Times or Chicago Reader websites or wherever else you download your favorite podcast. Let's play a little bit of this audio here from Joe Biden's town hall. It's going on right now, talking to Al Gore. I've mentioned here on the program, when it comes to Joe Biden, oh, the bar is very low <laughs> with old Dennis, all right? I'm just looking for complete sentences. Oh, you know what I mean? He's so hard on You know Biden. what I mean? So let's go in here. It looks like uh, old Al Gore's talking. Al Gore's got a, a white head of hair, a little beefy looking, looking good. All right, let's go to this, uh, <laughs> let's go to this town hall. Worldwide, even before this, 9 million people being killed every year by fossil fuel uh, burning air pollution. So we have got to fix that uh, as we also address the need for better access to health care and uh, fix the other inequities that are also, also contributing to this injustice. Well, by the way, I don't want to get off on it now, but one of the things that uh, the Navajo Nation is being devastated yeah. right now. I met with the president, we know him, and uh, they're getting virtually no help. But that's another issue. I, maybe I it's, mean, it's a gigantic issue. But it, it Al Gore, man. Yeah, it kind of went out there. Yeah. It goes to this whole, one of the things I'm hoping now, it's kind of like the way this administration has dealt with this, with the COVID pandemic, as well as the environment, has sort of taken the blinders off of people. People yeah. now are looking and saying, my Lord, you mean that same person who, who kept my sewer open and my basement not flooding, the same person that made sure that I got pulled out of that car crash? You mean the same person who, when I have trouble, comes to take care of my home, is burning down? All the, I mean, those people, they're the ones who, in fact, are getting screwed? Well, I think, here, here, here's the question. Look, I think this resonates with an awful lot of people now many of whom it didn't resonate before, not because they didn't care, but they didn't focus on it. They didn't realize the consequence. All right. Sounds pretty good, D. I mean, it was a bit of a run-on sentence, but so, it was a complete sentence. Good God. What do you want, Shakespeare? <laughs> I mean, you are tough on Joey B. You know, wait, hold on, D. Here, let me give you a little of this. Oh, and keep that crap away from oh, me. Mmm. Man, that, that, that sounded like uh, the second coming of Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Oh, yeah, it sure did. That's the man who's going to lead us. I don't know you see here. I got like, you do that. All right. I like him. <laughs> getting ready to vote for him, D. Just getting ready to vote for him. So that's what's going on here in Illinois and or Chicago. We're going to keep you posted on that. Uh, Tomorrow, maybe? Uh, tomorrow's show? Uh, tomorrow's show. Yeah. God, I'm trying to remember who our guests are tomorrow's show. Uh, well, I def I'll tell you what, I already talked to Monroe today. He is so fired up to talk. He'll probably be talking. He already told me, Ben, I'm going to, he's going to, he told me, Ben, I'm going to sell you on Biden. Okay. <laughs> but mainly he wants to rip Trump. He's uh, gearing up to rip Trump. So, uh... <laughs> all right. So don't go anywhere. Coming up, we got a big guest today, Ben. I hope you're all uh, prepared and uh, ready to do this here. We got attorney Jill Wine. Banks, and joining her as well as our good friend Lenny Monahopinworth of the Chicago Reader in uh, Indivisible, Illinois. People, don't go anywhere. The Ben Jarofsky Show will be right back. Take it away, um, accordion man. Come on, baby, I don't want you. 
the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture, food, arts and entertainment, weekly concert listings, weekly event listings, the environment, travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader, free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. All right, everybody, we're back. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from Ben's attic. I believe we have Lenny and Joe Wine-Banks both on the line. Are you guys there? We're both here. All right. Is that that was Jill speaking or Lenny? That was Jill. Oh, all right, Jill Wine-Banks. We're going to get you on in a little while. We're going to start with Lenny. And uh, Lenny, of course, my partner in crime at The Reader. Uh, and uh, my soulmate uh, in uh, Indivisible. I'm not a member of Indivisible, Lenny, uh, but uh, I really appreciate the work you guys have done. Really, since Donald John Trump was victorious in November, it took about three days for Indivisible to uh, crop up and emerge, maybe a week or so. And uh, you've been pounding the pavement ever since. We talked last of great length last week about the victory in Wisconsin. And, you know, Lenny, let me, before I ask you to take the I got to tell you, I love... I've been a Democrat my entire life. But one of the things that irritates me about Democrats, and Jill Weinbanks, just listen to this. One of the things that irritates me about Democrats is they repeat the stupid talking points they hear from Republicans. So, like, the Democrats trounced the Republicans in Wisconsin, Lenny, last week. We talked about it. We had uh, a member of Indivisible mm-hmm. who was very inactive in that movement to get a uh, a liberal Supreme Court justice elected over a man that Donald Trump supported. And so as soon as the election was over, Republicans said, well, yeah, it doesn't really matter because there was no... Donald Trump himself wasn't on the ticket. Lenny, I go around, I hear Democrats repeating that. Well, Ben, you know, it really doesn't matter because Donald... Why are we repeating talking points that Republicans say? Democrats... Man, you guys are so used to losing. You, you're like Cub fans back in the day. Always expect the, the worst to happen. Come on, Democrats, stand up and walk tall and proud. You mop the floor with the Republicans. You know what I'm saying, Lenny? But no, no, no. Do you, do you get some of that, Lenny, from time to time? I'm with you, Ben. I mean, here, here's the thing. A lot, of, a lot of indivisibles I met, they were not politically active before Trump was elected. So a lot of them marched for the first time in the Women's March, and they wanted something to do locally, and they started individual, indivisible group chapters in their district. I started one in Jan Schakowsky's district, um, IL-9, and there are groups, all of there's two in every congressional district across the nation. But here, here's the thing that we are not, and we are not an arm of the Democratic Party. And I, I, I love my Democrats. I mean, I really feel like there are only two teams here. <laughs> I don't know if ever in my lifetime there was really um, a time where they worked really well together. But 
um, you would think that in this moment, um, things would be a little bit easier because we're, we're, we want everyone to live, supposedly. Although you look and you, then you see um, who is it that was in Texas, the governor lieutenant said that, you know, there's more important things than life right now, which I, that just blows my <laughs> head off. What is that? What is that? That there's <laughs> the, the thing about it is that we we want um, you know the principles that we're looking for is that um, healthcare should be for all of us. You know, even even those who are undocumented, those who have lost their jobs right now, who are unemployed, because uh, in 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 the U.S., healthcare is tied to your job. A lot of those folks have have lost their jobs, and how how are they going to um, stay well? How are we giving people the opportunity to, um, the economic opportunity to stay inside and stay alive is, is what we're hearing. And these little tiny little bits of um, progress that they, they keep trying to make is, is not enough. You know, in this moment, it's like a, there's a crack open in the door and, and we are, we're going to miss out on the opportunity to make real structural change to address all of those um, inadequacies in our in our system right now. And so we're pushing our, our good deputy own Jan Schakowsky, who, you know, we are Jan fans, but she needs to hear from us. So Ben, when you say you're not a member of Indivisible, I just don't believe that because, you know, every day you're talking about how is it that we can do better? And you're reminding people that everybody is represented in government by somebody at every single level. That means at the local, municipal, and here's the thing, you know, right now they're going through this, um, they are trying to figure out the next 3.5, you know, bill, and I believe it's, it, you know, it, it went through the Senate, it didn't have enough in there, and now it's going to go to the House, so what is it that it didn't have in there? Is um, protection for our frontline workers right now, it didn't have, it didn't address you know, how are we going to um, give people the ability to stay in their homes, you know, as they have lost their jobs? How is it that we are going to address moving forward um, the elections in November? Um, because, you know, Wisconsin, photos from Wisconsin, if there's, if there's anything else that can move you right now to be political, and, you know, what, is it that, what does that mean, like, to be political? Right now, we just want people to, to stay alive, and that includes all of our poll workers, who were volunteers, and we're we are finding out that people are they are dying. They are they are reporting people who are dying because they had to work those polls. We need to protect our elections in November. So we're asking our good representatives, including Jan Sikowski, to you know protect our votes, um, to promote more funds for um, for the United States Postal Service, and um, to to also. Um, put in more funds for state and municipal um, governments because um, you know that's one of the things that that um, they are using on the other side is that basically to starve us. Um, so please let's just think about that. We are not an arm of the Democratic Party. We believe in these um, progressive values, of course, um, but also there are things that we could do. Um, ourselves as individuals, and you don't need to be a member of Indivisible to do that. There are a lot of folks out there. I just want to point out also that um, just moving forward into, because um, we don't know what's going to be in this next bill, but um, <laughs> elections do matter. There, there are four things that I want to point out that um, Senator Warren is talking about in terms of vote by mail, and Rose touched on it last time that she was here on Thursday. 
Um, there are four parts to it. So one of them is that Senator Warren wants postage prepaid envelopes in every single voter's hand. Right? Uh, we need to be able to register online. We need an extended period to register online, and we need safe voting. Um, part two is we need to fund the United States Postal Service. Um, you could do that on your own. You could buy postage stamps. You could send uh, fun letters to people. Um, in fact, I ordered a, um, a coloring book from the Chicago Reader, and they put a postage stamp on there right there. And I got it in the mail, and it's a fun thing to get in the mail. You can also um, save alternative uh, news weeklies like the Chicago Reader by ordering a coloring book from them. Um, so that's number two, is to save the post office. Number three is we need to protect our poll workers. They need all, of, all the PPE they can get and training to um, keep alive. And we need to also protect in-person voting because universal uh, vote by mail is probably not, um, it's not gonna happen, for instance, on tribal lands or in communities of color where in-person voting is really important or in rural, rural areas, um, uh, in communities of color, that is. So we need to figure out ways to protect our democracy while we um, stay alive. The, um, the other thing is just talking about the, the reader again. Mm -hmm. That's the other thing. That's the other hat that I wear, which is to um, save free alternative news weekly. Chicago Reader is the first in the nation. Um, and we, like um, everybody else, is applying for the PPP. Um, and hopefully, cross fingers, we'll get it. My own small business in Andersonville is um, like your wife, Ben. We have only two employees there. And, um, and of course, we're, there's so many things to be upset about. But, yes, we're waiting on that money, too, and it, it's dried up. There's no money there. Um, you know, the, the corporations got that. Um, so we're, there's so many things to be upset about. But um, we can do our part by promoting what you're doing, Ben, by actually coloring. <laughs> coloring and coloring books. So check it out. Um, by, by ordering a coloring book, you're also supporting the 50 illustrators that contributed to the book. And 50% of the proceeds go to these artists. 50% goes to the Chicago Reader. We're also doing many other things um, to save our Chicago Reader. And you can find all those opportunities at chicagoreader.com forward slash support. It includes um, things like the, the, um, the cannabis coloring activity coloring book that's coming out, the reader recipes book that's coming out, the um, limited edition puzzle that's out right now. And, um, you know, just from the coloring book alone, we raised over $42,000. So thank you to everybody who reads Reader. Yeah. Thank you to everybody who supports Ben Jarofsky. Ben Jarofsky's Best Of is coming out soon, so we're really excited about that. Um, and I also wanted to shout out to Jill. She's a, a great supporter of Indivisible. She's come out and she's been a, a guest speaker, panelist for us talking about impeachment um, and just the other week. Uh, last week, she was on the line with 50 of us um, who got together just in a matter of days. Who, uh, we had a great conversation with her talking about everything that you're probably going to touch on today. So I'm really excited that you're here, here, Jill. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much. Uh, I appreciate it. And I agree with everything you said and would only emphasize that when we talk about online registration or anything else, many 
uh, communities do not have access to computer to um, either internet or even to a computer. And during this epidemic, when we have libraries closed, we have to take into account that we will disenfranchise many people if we don't allow mail-in voting and if we don't do something to make computers available. So I just wanted to point that out. All right, Jill Weinbanks. And uh, as uh, before we did the show, I talked. Uh, I called Jill up and I, I said, all right, we're going to talk about the three Bs, Jill. Uh, book, Barr, and Biden. All right, so we're going to cover all the three Bs. Let's start with the book first, The Watergate Girl. And Jill, I'm really going to try uh, to not have a two-hour conversation with you about your book and Watergate. You know, <laughs> I'm utterly obsessed with the 70s. And uh, I was thinking about you. There's that show, All, all American Girl. I don't know if you watched it at all. Phyllis Schlafly and uh, Shirley Chisholm, uh, uh, Betty Friedan. I think who else is in it? Uh, 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 Gloria Steinem. Anyway, uh, women from the 70s. I, I've been, I, haven't, I seen... haven't watched it, but now you're going to make me watch it. I will watch it. Yeah, that's sure. your homework assignment. And next time you come on, we'll, uh, we'll dissect that show. But uh, yeah, great uh, uh, I look forward to it. Yeah, iconic women from the 70s. Some of, like, Phyllis Schlafly is completely diametrically opposed to me politically, but uh, she was a very powerful force. Uh, the Democrats could learn a thing or two from her. All right, let's talk about your book, The Watergate uh, Girl. Uh, tell folks a little bit about it. Well, the book, as my editor describes it, is a combination of uh, all the president's men and hidden figures, because it's not just about the Watergate scandal and the trial. And so it takes you past all the president's men, which was the pre-investigation. But this is about the actual gathering of evidence to go to court and try the people who were guilty of covering up the Watergate break-in. And then it's also about my very unique view as the only woman involved, um, not counting my witness, Rosemary Woods, but as a lawyer, um, this was a time when lawyers who were female constituted only 4% of all the lawyers practicing law and very few who were actually trial lawyers. So it's a lot about the hurdles, uh, much like in Hidden Figures, the hurdles that I had to overcome to do my job. And um, that is extremely relevant today. Not only is the Watergate analogy relevant to the Trump scandals, but the the sexism that I endured has only gotten worse in many ways. And one of the reasons it's worse is because it's more hidden. It's now illegal. It wasn't then. But because it's illegal, people don't say out loud, except for Donald Trump, who always says out loud what other people would never say. Um, they don't say it out loud, so it's harder to fight. In my day, people actually said, well, we can't hire a woman because you're a woman. And everybody else is a man. Um, nobody would say that now, but they sometimes think it. And so you have to be prepared to encounter and, and deal with that um, even now. And so it's relevant. And, and it's meant as a good, quick read and something that you can enjoy and learn from. Talk a little bit about uh, the blatant uh, sexism that you faced back in the 70s. Uh, you were a prosecutor. And uh, so how did you find your way to that position, you know, in, in, in the face um, of all that sexism? 
Well, I was very lucky to meet someone who worked in the organized crime section when I was looking for a job. And he gave my resume to the head of the section. And I somehow got hired. But they somehow missed the fact that I was a woman because when it came time to move from starting in appeals, which is where all lawyers in the organized crime section start, to doing trials, they suddenly thought, oh, my God, she'd be in court with made members of a mafia. And you're safer in a appellate court where it's only the lawyers. And so I had to really fight to get my first trial, uh, pointing out that they had hired me as a trial attorney. Um, and I, by standing up for myself, I got that trial. And one trial led to the second. And then I was viewed as, well, gee, it all worked out. She couldn't do this. And after a few years there, uh, Watergate started, and I got a phone call saying, would I come in for an interview? And the interview was basically, how soon can you start this job? And I literally started almost immediately doing two jobs because I had to finish up all my caseload at Justice and turn it over to other people to try cases. And so that's how it happened. Um, I was very lucky to be very much accepted much more so than I had ever been at the Watergate office. Um, I think everybody there was so smart, so talented, and so secure that being a woman did not threaten them. And I felt really accepted in that office. But I still encountered a lot of sexist remarks, things like uh, a witness would come in and someone else in the room would say, would you like coffee? And they would turn to me, assuming that I would be the one to go get it. Um, and Many, many other things. There was episodes with the judge. Uh, judge Sirica at one point interrupted my cross-examination of Rosemary Woods saying, now, ladies, we have enough problem in this courtroom without two women arguing. And all I was doing was a very good cross-examination. And uh, so it was that sort of thing where the blood drains from your face and you're frozen because you cannot say anything to the, the judge. You have to just go on, just suck it up and go ahead. But it was that sort of thing. And I was always identified in press reports by what I was wearing before they talked about what I said. Mm -hmm. So it would be me today wearing questioned Robert Mardian, one of the defendants. But it always had what I was wearing. And it never talked about what my male colleagues were wearing. So it was clearly sexist. Well, you raised that subject. So before I go back to Watergate and Rosemary Woods, because I do want to take this opportunity just briefly, uh, Jill, to educate people about Rosemary Woods. It's a fascinating side part to the Watergate thing. When you hear the equivalent conversations uh, about Nancy Pelosi, what do you think? Because so often, uh, Jill, when Nancy Pelosi gets into a confrontation with Donald Trump uh, and she emerges from the White House, you'll hear about what she was wearing. You know, she like, the, her, like, I don't know if she was wearing red or she was wearing white and people will make a point of saying what she was wearing clear. And right. I, it's obvious to me that Nancy Pelosi uh, has a sharp eye for what she's wearing and what her look is going to be. Uh, but what's your thoughts when you hear the commentators, the reporters uh, write or talk or write about what Nancy Pelosi is wearing? Well, obviously it shows that my point is well taken is that things haven't improved all that much because until they start saying that, for example, Rick Mendeniste, when he wanted to look really powerful, would wear a pinstripe suit. 
when he wanted to seem less threatening, he would wear a blue blazer and khaki pants. So there was a deliberate strategy. My strategy wasn't so deliberate. I was wearing suits. I was, you know, dressing professionally. Um, and I was wearing, I was known as the mini skirted lawyer because that was the fashion of the time. And if you went to a store, that's what you bought. Um, Nancy Pelosi is a very smart dresser. You're correct. And I'm sure that she is aware of the power she presents by how she presents herself. But it is completely sexist for anyone to mention that her gender is female or what she's wearing unless and until they talk about what other members of Congress who are not female are wearing. Uh, now, when the women get together and all wear white to make a point, that's a different story. That is the message is wearing white. But in ordinary everyday life, you know, we dress the way we dress. In my era, um, my first trial was in Alaska, and I had to wear a skirt. No one else in Alaska wears a skirt. <laughs> it was 30 below zero. It was January. Yeah. But I had to because it was not permitted to wear pants in court. It was against all federal rules. I could not wear pants. So I wore a skirt. Um, so it, it is, there's a book called Presentation of Self in Everyday Life by Erwin Gossman which I read in college and remember to this day because it does talk about how you present yourself as part of how you are perceived and will impact how people uh, evaluate you. And so I, I do take consideration of, you know, what I wear and um, I considered things like uh, whether I would ever adopt the term Ms. instead of Mrs. And at the time when it first started, I knew that juries would think I was an uppity feminist and wouldn't trust me. And it was more important to me to be trusted by the jury than to make a point of using this, which I, of course, use now um, and long have done so. But in the very beginning, it would have hurt my credibility in front of a jury. And so those are things that as professional, as a professional, uh, male or female, you consider things like that. Mm -hmm. By the way, uh, going back to what I uh, was alluded to earlier, talking about Phyllis Schlafly and uh, in that uh, TV show, Mrs. America, I think it is called Mrs. America. Uh, Phyllis Schlafly, again, for our younger listeners, she was an activist, a right-wing activist who fought against the Equal Rights Amendment. Uh, but one of the things she was really effective at, uh, Jill, was making clear to uh, ordinary Americans that she wasn't a feminist. You know what I'm saying? That she wa oh, believed that yep. women had a certain role that they should have in society. But th the painful irony for me as a, a lefty or a liberal, whatever I am, Jill, is that she was, she was uh, adopting to a role every bit as much as you were when you dropped Ms. Because she was a lawyer she was every bit as powerful. Uh, she was playing with the big boys. She was swimming with the sharks, but she just pretended. And Yeah, go ahead. Right, and, and she wasn't a housewife. She didn't stay at home. She was out campaigning the whole time. Mm -hmm. So she was talking one view, but acting another. And she did, she was very threatening. I campaigned with Liz Carpenter from Texas. Um, or ERA, and listening to her, it was 
the girls will be drafted and will have to share bathrooms and um, it will totally destroy marriage. And I mean, her arguments were so 1950s and this was in the late seventies, which this was going on. So she was, and she was effective. She was very effective. She was extremely powerful. And to this day, we don't have an equal rights amendment, although we now have enough states having approved it. The problem is there was a time limit set by Congress, um, how fast it had to be passed. Mm -hmm. And so there's now a challenge to that. Hopefully that will succeed and we will eventually recognize that women are the same as men and they are part of the constitution. All right. Now, speaking of powerful women, uh, who you would never think as powerful women, but they were. Let's talk a little Rosemary Woods before uh, uh, we move on to uh, current politics. And then I'm sure you deal, deal with this in the book, The Watergate Girl. Uh, tell our listeners who Rosemary Woods was, the power she had, and why you were confronting her in that courtroom. So Rosemary Woods, by title, was... Uh, the secretary to Richard Nixon. She had joined him the moment he was elected to the Senate. She had met him when he served in the House, and she was the secretary for a committee he was on. She was impressed by his ability to fill out a expense report correctly, and he was very impressed by her neatness and her um, her her abilities as a secretary. She eventually was named an executive assistant. In reality, she was a very close advisor to him. And you know that by the fact, well, particularly as I learned, while writing the book, I started listening to tape recordings beyond those that we had subpoenaed. I listened to just tapes between the president and Rosemary Woods. And he was asking for advice. And there are many situations in which she freely offered it. She also was uh, a person who had a space with hundreds of thousands of dollars in it, which was used as part of the hush money payment. Um, she really, she was identified even back then as one of the most powerful women in the country. But I would say in any other era, she would have been the chief of staff. She did have a fight with Haldeman, who was the chief of staff. And at one point she was banished from the actual West Wing to the EOB across the street within the confines of the White House compound. Um, but as soon as he had to resign because of Watergate, she moved right back into the office next to the president. And she's the one who lasted. She's the one who was there. Um, when, after the Republicans came to him, Goldwater and the two top people in the Senate and the House, and said, you do not have the support to survive. You have to resign or you will be convicted uh, in the Senate. He was afraid to tell his wife and daughters that he was going to resign. And Rose, um, so that's how close they were. That was her role, was really being uh, a cheerleader for him. And there were many times when she would have to sort of buck him up because he'd be depressed about how badly things were going. Mm -hmm. uh, so she played a very significant role. But the reason I cross-examined her is because... At one point, the White House threw her under the bus, and they said to us, we had subpoenaed nine tapes. At first, they came to us and said, two are missing. We had a hearing to determine whether that was legitimate or not. 
And then after the hearing ended in a drip, 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 bad trial strategy, they came back to court and said, well, there's a problem with a third one. There's an 18 and a half minute gap in it. And there is no innocent explanation. And only Rosemary Woods can possibly explain it, which obviously pointed the finger at her. Mm -hmm. And they didn't have to go out of their way to say there's no innocent explanation. Um, But they did. And I had questioned her in the first hearing because I stood up for myself and said to my trial partner that I felt he was taking more witnesses than his fair share and that I was going to take the next witness the White House called and that we would share equally after that. And the next witness called in the first hearing was Rosemary Woods. So then when they came back and said, she's a likely criminal suspect, um, she was already my witness. And so I cross-examined her as she did what's known as the Rosemary stretch, Mm. uh, which is where she said she pushed the wrong button on the tape machine, kept her foot on the pedal and reached six feet away to get a telephone call and accidentally hit the record instead of the stop button and thereby erased 18 and a half minutes, although she insisted her call only lasted four or five. So she really didn't take the blame for the full 18 minutes, but the White House had already made her the suspect. And so that's why I I cross-examined her and had my Perry Mason moment, if anybody remembers Perry Mason, um, because Every night on television, he used to, you know, on the stand, get someone to confess, no, it was me, it wasn't your client. And um, I was able to ask for a demonstration in the courtroom, which failed. Rosemary Woods could not even point gently at the headset, let alone have reached six feet. And then she said, oh, but it's different in the White House. So we adjourned to the White House, and she did a demonstration in front of a photographer, which definitely proves she couldn't have done what she said. And so she became the focus of the front page of every newspaper and magazine um, and of many, many great cartoons. All right. Uh, by the way, I would say, I, yes, I've, I've seen many Perry Masons. And it's not only just the, the, the witness he's cross-examining, sometimes through his, his effective courtroom strategy, somebody else in the middle of the, like we're sitting in the back, will stand up. I did it. It was, it was, yeah, it was. Fair. By the way, I would say uh, what you did, and you don't take offense at this, because I think this guy was a great lawyer, Johnny Cochran. If the ju- if the if the glove does not fit, you must yeah. quit. That's the uh, right, you right. know. And it, it, may he rest in peace. Johnny Cocker was a hell of a lawyer, and uh, that of course from that's the, for sure. Yep, he was one hell of a lawyer. All right, now uh, I told you, uh, Jill. We I was really going to try not to <laughs> take the deep dive, but you really got me going here. All right, so um, tooth questions. What do you think? And I, I guess I know the answer, but I'm asking this for our listeners. What was erased in that 18 minutes, and why was it so significant? And uh, what do you think the real story is behind the erasing? Go ahead. Okay, well, so we are getting into the steep, but um, what was on it was a discussion of Watergate very early on. This was a few days after the break-in. And so what it would have shown had it existed was the president was deeply involved in discussing it and planning the break-in, planning the cover-up, not the Mm break-in. And we don't know exactly. We do have Haldeman's notes of the conversation. So we know that they talked about 
developing some PR offensive, something to say about it. So we know that they knew that they were involved in the break-in and they were trying to cover it up. What exactly was there has been long, um, many attempts have been made to resurrect what was erased with even modern technology, no success. Mm-hmm. Um, my theory is it didn't happen the way Rose said. It's not possible technically for it to have happened or physically for that matter. I think that it probably was erased before she was given the tape. And that means it was likely involving the president, maybe Haldeman, maybe his Haldeman's replacement, uh, General Haig became the chief of staff. He could have been involved in it. Those are the most likely suspects for having erased it. And I could go into a long set of explanations of why I've come to the conclusion that it might have already been erased. And part of it is because when Rose ran into the office when she realized what had happened, she ran into the president saying, I've had a terrible accident. And he said, don't worry, it's not a subpoena to take. And that, of course, cannot be possible. That's not um, what what could have happened. So uh, if, if she ran in to see him and he said something about it's not a subpoena tape, it's a theory he had developed long before. Um, so I think, and then he went for a long ride with Alexander Haig around Washington. He took the presidential limousine and just went around town. And they claim in our questioning afterwards that they talked about Agnew, who was about to resign because he was uh, about to be indicted for a criminal offense, um, a bribery, and who was the, he was the vice president. So you can see how corrupt this administration was. The vice president had to resign because of a criminal case, and the president obviously also had to resign. So that's, uh, it was very important in terms of its importance. The real importance was not that we didn't learn, but that it turned the public against them. They sort of forgave him for the first two explanations of missing tapes, and he was stonewalling turning them over this whole time. But the public saw that there was real corruption going on. It really turned people against him. So that was also part of why it was so important to the case. Oh, listen, uh, the more and more I study Richard Nixon, it's I'm overwhelmed by the, the extent of his corruption. There's a book that came out. Uh, doesn't, I don't think it got the attention it deserved. Uh, Jill, Jack Goldsmith, a Harvard University law professor, he is he wrote a book that's both, both a biography of his uh, stepfather, Chucky O'Brien, uh, and a, uh, an expose of the, um, the prosecution of Jimmy Hoffa the Teamsters leader. Oh. Uh, and it's a brilliant book. I urge everybody to read it when they're done reading uh, The Watergate Girl. And um, yes. Uh, yes, I had to say that, Joe. Uh, and But one of the things he talks about in the book is how Chucky O'Brien, who just died recently, I don't know if you saw that, Chucky O'Brien literally bought uh, a suitcase full of cash to the White House to pay Nixon and the Nixon campaign for releasing Jimmy Hoffa from prison. I mean, this is how corrupt this guy was, Richard Nixon. It, it, yes, and part of the reason that Watergate happened is because there was so much unaccountable, non-transparent money. Back then, there were no campaign laws, and basically we're back to that era again because of the Supreme Court decision in Citizens United, um, a horrible opinion. And so they had all this money just in safes. And they didn't have to report it. They didn't have 
to say who it came from. And that's why they had the money to waste on funding this break-in to begin with. But the real reason for the cover-up is that one of those campaign checks had been cashed by one of the burglars in Miami, and the money that was on the burglars when they were arrested, they had fresh new $100 bills, and it could have been traced by serial numbers to the bank and to the check from the campaign. And, of course, they didn't want the campaign's role in paying for them to be known. So that's why they tried to get the CIA to stop the FBI claiming falsely that there was a national security risk. So that's why that phrase, follow the money. And, of course, it applies today to um, all the scandals involving Trump. Follow the money. There's definitely money that will tell us a lot about the, the scandals going on now and why we need to not have him be reelected. All right, let's uh, make the transition from the 1970s to now. And uh, William Barr, the, the second B uh, on our agenda. You had a, I saw a quote from you. Uh, I don't know when you made it. Maybe you've made it many times. Uh, Trump is more dangerous than Nixon. And I think this you were making this in context with something that uh, Attorney General Barr was up to. Uh, talk a little bit about that, uh, the danger of Donald Trump and his attorney general. I, it's, it's Donald Trump and all Republicans. But right now, particularly, I would focus on Barr. Barr has lied to the public, has misled the public, has allowed investigations that are unfounded to go on. He has said that the shutdown orders from governors are not valid and should be overturned, which is clearly ludicrous. He has resisted things like the McGahn subpoena, which I believe the Supreme Court which is, will take it up in May. Um, I still am optimistic the Supreme Court will see how wrong that is and that they will um, you know, mandate that he testify. Um, and I believe that the tax returns will be released because there's no question the law allows that. Um, so he has taken a very extreme view of executive power and has allowed Trump to do things, including guide who gets investigated, which is something that no president has ever done. Well, Richard Nixon did try to use the Internal Revenue Service to look at what was the people on his um, enemies list, which included a lot of politicians and a lot of media people, many newspaper people, because like like Trump, he hated anybody who said bad things about him. He was very insecure. And so he really was going after anyone who criticized him in any way. Um, Trump does it every single day. And now during the pandemic, he's using his hour press conference to really demean the press. I mean, the threat to the First Amendment as part of our fundamental for democracy is really severe because he says out loud the things that we heard on the tapes that were said in secret, Mm -hmm. Donald Trump says out loud. He just says whatever he wants and the people supporting him think he's right and they don't care. But William Barr is really empowering him in ways. William Barr and... I'd have to say McConnell is as big a threat. Those two people alone are seriously helping him to do what he does. And no one seems to have the ability. Nixon tried to get his signature on Social Security checks. 
checks because he also wanted the recognition of, oh, I'm responsible for you getting money. But he actually listened because people spoke up and said, you're not a legal signatory. Your signature would be totally meaningless. It requires that a signatory sign it anyway, so it would be an extra signature, and you shouldn't do this. And so he didn't. He actually listened. Um, obviously, Trump, nobody can get him to listen. Nobody can get him to do the right thing. So that's why Barr, I think, is enabling the president and making things worse. I agree with you. Uh, he's definitely enabling the president. The president uh, appreciates that role uh, that he's playing. By the way, just be one little thing that I popped into my head about Rosemary Woods. Just go back to her really briefly. Uh, there's a Chicago connection to her. Her brother, yes. this is for real Chicago political geeks, was the Cook County Sheriff, Joe Woods, uh, way back when. So it's a Chicago family with some uh, political connections. Uh, Rose, exactly. And, uh, and Rose used to change, exchange clothes with Pat Nixon and Joe with, uh, I don't know if they changed, but he got suits from Richard Nixon. Um, and his grand nephew, um, no, his grandson, uh, has recently been speaking to me because I've always wanted to know more about Rose. I wanted to know what her family and friends thought of her. I wanted to portray her in the Watergate girl as a real person, not as the Herb Block cartoon character. Yeah. And um, no one would talk to me. They all thought I was the enemy. And I said this on radio and her grand nephew, um, because Joe was his grandfather mm -hmm. and Joe was her, her brother, uh, called me and said, I'd be willing to talk to you. And he has shared with me some wonderful family memories but I feel like I've now gotten to know her better and understand her a little bit more. Well, she is a significant fear. I didn't mean to go back in time. I was actually going to go forward. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get to the final. Joe, I'll tell you, I could talk seventies all day. Uh, <laughs> uh, it, Joe Biden, you're a Joe Biden delegate. And I, I explained yeah. this to you on the phone uh, before we went on the air. Everybody knows I was a Bernie guy, a Bernie bro. I was for Bernie in 2016. I lost then. I turned right around and voted for Hillary Clinton. I was for Bernie. I voted for Bernie in 2020. And uh, everybody knows there's no secret I'm going to vote for Joe Biden. But many of my listeners are Bernie Sanders supporters or were Bernie Sup Sanders supporters. Uh, so why don't you give the most compelling argument you can for why all Bernie Sanders supporters should vote for Joe Biden? Well, first, let me say all Bernie voters are more than welcome and are being courted by Joe Biden. Uh, we want and need them. He has obviously been influenced by Sanders and his policies and will continue to represent those. Um, I think the most compelling reason is so simple. Obviously, the alternative is Donald Trump. One of those two men will be the president and it cannot be Donald Trump. So everyone has to come together. I don't care if he was your second choice, your third choice, or your 10th choice, or if you really don't, just don't like him. It, the same thing happened in campaigning for Hillary in 2016. I don't care if you didn't love Hillary Clinton. I did. But the alternative is so awful that you have to vote for her. And throwing away your vote on a third-party candidate or a write-in or staying home 
is just not going to work because that's why we lost in 2016. I love Joe as a person. I love his policies. I really believe he has the experience and the empathy. Um, you and I talked about that he was on the Late Late Show, mm-hmm. and his, his sense of humor came out when he was asked who's going to be his vice president. He said, well, I, you know, I can't tell you unless it's really secret between us. <clears throat> and, of course, Gordon said, oh, yes, of course. Mm-hmm. And he said, it's going to be Julia Louise Dreyfus, yeah. which I thought was really just adorable. And um, I know that he will make a good choice because he's a thoughtful person. He will listen to the advice of advisors. He listens to science. He would be much better equipped to deal with the coronavirus and the response that we're not getting. He would be much better able to do that. So I just feel like he's the one who can lead us out of where we're at right now. And the most important thing maybe is that I think that the electoral college is the key, obviously, to winning. The Democrats have twice won the popular vote, but lost the electoral college and therefore the election. And I, my, my fear with voting for Bernie, and I have a question for you at the end of this. Okay. Um, was that he would not attract the middle of the road Democrat. He wouldn't attract the independents and the, the Republicans who are disgusted with the behavior of Donald Trump. And we need to make inroads in the purple states, in the flippable states. And I think that Joe Biden is the person who can appeal to um, that group of people while still maintaining, because he it certainly has the most progressive uh, platform of any candidate to date. So, I mean, he's more progressive than Hillary was. He's not as progressive as Bernie. That's no question about that. But he can get us there and take us in steps. So I just think he's the right person for this moment in history when it's ours to lose. And so I'm, I'm just, um, I went to see him in person before you could no longer see anyone in person, um, because I just wanted to see him up close and personal and say hello. And I was so impressed with how good he is in person. It's a real loss that this campaign will now be on television and through social media and on your computer, that he won't be able to go out and shake hands. He's a, he's really, um, ramrod straight pasture, graceful in movement. Um, he, he's very impressive looking in person. And um, I, I just wish he could be out campaigning. I also wish there would be a convention because I was elected as a delegate and I would love to go, but I think that's unlikely. Yeah, it's going to be a virtual. So what was your question for me, Jill? I was, well, I tweeted something about welcoming you just called yourself a Bernie bro. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought that's what you all called yourself. Yeah. And I said it. And a lot of people wrote back to me saying, if you call us that, don't expect us to support you. And so I didn't think it was an insult. I thought it was what, what you wanted to be called. So did I do wrong? And yes. What's you, the right thing to say? Yes, you did wrong. And, uh, so we've de- dealt with I this. I apologize. Yeah, no, we've dealt with this on the show before I was chastised. I, uh, I use it ironically 
when it, in reference to myself because I'm as far from being a bro as you can possibly be and still be on the planet with a bro. <laughs> First of all, I'm way too old to be a bro. And I'm like, it took me, I'm going on and on here. It took me a long time to understand the difference between bros and hipsters, which Jill, we can spend a whole half hour sometime just talking about that distinction. Wow, yeah. You know, uh, between bros and hipsters. So it took me a while. I'm always curious. I'm always open to the new things. Some people tell me about the bros and the hipsters. I'm like, well, you know. And so, uh, and then when, so when the, the concept of a Bernie bro came out, I was like, oh, I'm a birdie bro, even though I'm not, because I'm, first of all, I'm not on social media. Uh, the, the, uh, if you want to deal with the stereotype of what a birdie bro is, somebody who spends way too much time on social media and is attacking people who don't agree with him. So uh, I'm never mm. on social media, very rarely. Uh, my partner here, Dennis, is always teasing me because I'm so bad at social media. And uh, mm. so when I call myself uh, a birdie bro, it's, I'm, I'm sort of mocking myself as much as I am mocking the concept of a bro. Uh, but many of my uh, Bernie Sanders supporter friends have asked me not to even make the Bernie bro joke anymore because it demeans Bernie supporters. Uh, and they're not even certain that some of the more obnoxious uh, social media Bernie supporters are in fact real social media Bernie supporters and not Russian bots or something. So I've been very good about that. Uh, but I still, every now and then when I refer to myself as a Bernie bro, just, you know, just out of old, old habits are hard to break. Listen, I, I'm, I'm trying to share your optimism about Joe Biden as much as I can. Uh, I thought I, I began the show by saying, hey, you know, he wasn't bad on the Corden show. Uh, it's going to take me a little while to completely warm up to him. And uh, I do believe that ultimately I've made this prediction already, Jill. He will be he will defeat Donald Trump. I thought that Wisconsin yeah. s- signaled it. And um, I'm irritated at my Democratic brothers and sisters who are so cautious and nervous and afraid of their shadows that they won't come out and say it. But it, I do believe that uh, the Democratic Party is ready to. to it, it almost doesn't even matter who is at the the the, the in the on the ticket. Uh, it, this is about defeating Donald John Trump. And I saw what happened went down in Wisconsin a couple of weeks ago. We were talking. Started off talking with Lenny about it, and I know the effort that so many activists. Jill, what they put on the line for that election, not just people coming in from Illinois to work in Wisconsin, but those, the people in Wisconsin. And I just believe this is the Democrats year. So uh, I think your guy is going. I I think you're right. Yeah. All right, Jill Weinbanks, uh, thank you so much for taking the time to come and talk to me. I appreciate it. The book is The Watergate Girl. Uh, I'm going to have to go out, get it, and read it. I'm utterly obsessed with Watergate. Maybe we'll do a whole other deep dive on the 70s. You'll, you'll enjoy it. I know you will really relate. You'll relate to it for sure. Yeah, and you're a smart guy. So in addition to his joke about Julia Louise Dreyfus, he quoted Kierkegaard. Yes, what he did. <laughs> ever quoted Kierkegaard in a television show? I mean, he did. Yes, he did. I mean, but it, and it was in an inspiring and touching way. I mean, he was saying something. Didn't you? I was very touched by it. Um, it was and shocked. I mean, <laughs> that's not a name you expect to hear from a politician. No, no, I, I, absolutely. So, uh, like I said, I um, it was as good as I've seen from Joe Biden. And uh, the thing at the end with the pay, the where he was the. <laughs> The painting, the picture of his kids and everything, the whole thing. And he got very choked up. And that's something else. That's a whole other story. 
Uh, Donald yeah. Trump is going hard. They're going to go hard at Hunter Biden and blast Hunter Biden. And and right. the one thing I liked about Joe Biden and today, he didn't run from that. He didn't run from his love for his son. And, uh, you know, so I had, I, I like that. I like that, um, you know, he's like, hey, you're not going to divide my family. So I, I appreciate that moment in the interview. All right, exactly. Joe, thanks. We, we got to get going here. Thank you. Thank you very much. Appreciate Thanks, you coming on. And Lenny, you take care, all right? Thank you. All right, very good. Joe Weinbanks. Hi, Lenny. Thank you, Jill. Thanks, Ben. Take care. That's uh, And uh, great show. Great talking to Jill Weinbanks. Love talking to her. Watergate girl. JWB. Yeah, I'm, I'm you know. D, hold on one. We're going to close what? the show the way we began it. Oh, great. Mm. I'm drinking that Joe Biden Kool-Aid. All right. want to thank uh, Jill and, and uh, Before we ride out of here, guys, we uh, first off want to thank you all for listening, obviously. Uh, and remember, you can call us. All right. This would be the point. If we had voicemails. Oh, yeah. You know, this would be the point where we would play voicemails. All right. So I'm just going to give our phone number one more time. You can leave us a voicemail and say whatever you want. All right. You can prank us. Uh, you troll us. It's It's fine. Or if you got a question, 708-658-4788. Once again, 708-658-4788. That's correct. <laughs> Reach out to us. Send us a voicemail. Uh, I don't know about taking the calls. That may be a little hard if we're doing the show live. We'll try. If you call us during the show, I'll try and answer. All right. Uh, but I don't know. Maybe I won't. I don't like answering numbers. I don't recognize. So I'll just leave a voicemail. That's how we're going to do this. Uh, once again, 708-658-4788. Now, uh, in the attic, we in the live stream now. And, but part two, Wait a Whoa. <laughs> what the hell? Hello? Ben does that every time. <laughs> Good times. Uh, but what, what we've been doing here, uh, if you just listen to the live stream and you don't download uh, our shows, well, you're missing out, okay? There's a part two, but you got to go download it. Both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites and wherever else you download your favorite podcast, the train's coming. Let's let this thing rip. All right. We're opening up the window and letting people hear what the train actually sounds like with, Come the, on, brown line. with the window open. This thing's gnarly. Uh, yeah. Here we go. Get ready. <laughs> Holy cow. Where's the leaf blower guy? Come on. Uh, he'll be here <laughs> no shortly. Time. So who's our uh, who's going to be on part two of the show today, uh, Ben? A, an old friend of mine, a dear friend of mine, Kevin Blackstone. He's a sports writer for the Washington Post. Uh, and um, he, we're going to take the deep dive on the Chicago Bulls. Kevin and I, way back when, in the early 80s, uh, we, he lived in Chicago in those days. We were, we'd go to Bulls games together. He was uh, one of my best Bulls friends from back in the day. So we'll be talking about the last dance and Michael Jeffrey Jordan and all kinds of bull stuff. And I'm going to have Dennis go down and look at a cup of coffee so I get to talk a little bull stuff. But this is a, a, a special show because, come on, D, last dance is the biggest show in the country right People now. People are talking about it, and we are about a week behind on Tiger King. And I want to make sure that we're, you know, <laughs> keeping up with the wave. You know what I mean? Wait, we're can I... If, can I watch Nancy Pelosi talk about her tomorrow? If she from from two weeks ago, go for it. We talked about that Imagine song yesterday. That's I'm like not, a month old. Imagine like 
Afar. Afar. And then I remember, oh, hey, not long listeners, let me tell you all about Tiger King. Like, okay, everybody knows. There's have like you, two people. By the way, have you seen it yet? Nope. <laughs> I don't have Netflix. I don't do Netflix, guys. Yeah, I don't man. like it. I don't like Netflix. Call me crazy. Wait, here comes another train. Oh, wait. Ah. There you go. Choo choo. Oh, yeah. Sun Times probably loves this <laughs> section of the show. Ah, the great content. I really like when you open the train uh, door, uh, window, let the train rip through. All right, guys, we're out of here. Follow us online at Benny J Show, B E N N Y, the letter J Show on both Facebook and Twitter. Uh, if you watch the live stream, I think we may have a call. That's my ringer, by the way. It's bongos. Wow, it sounded like a. Uh, Hello? Wait, hold on, hold on. One second. Hello? To accept, press one. To send a voicemail, press two. <laughs> Who is this? Okay, I don't know what that was. The IRS. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I answered that. It's probably someone I owe money to. All right, so follow us on Facebook and Twitter, at Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show. That's also our Instagram handle. Tell your friends about the show. You can send them links uh, to the show and all that stuff on our Facebook page. And if you watch the live stream, make sure to hit like and subscribe. All right. Turns out they really like that. Uh, I don't know why, but just hit like and subscribe uh, if you watch the live stream. Very good. And one more time. Thank you, Lenny. Thank you, Jill. And thank you, man, the myth, the legend, the pride and joy of Alton, Illinois, without whom the show would not be possible. Yes, indeed. Back at home in Alton, as Joe Winebanks can tell you, they call him White Lightning. Give yourself a raise. Take out a petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. Hey, and remember, you can download these shows, Chicago Sun Times, Chicago Reader websites, wherever else you download your favorite podcast. If you listen on the live stream, I'll say it again. Go subscribe and download our part two of the show. All right. We're talking all things The Last Dance. Oh, Ben. You guys can't see Ben right now, but he is giddy. A, a giddy Ben Jarofsky. Whoa. And uh, downloaders, check out the live stream. Bye. perfect person play the radio make sure the television the, excuse me make sure you have the record player on at night the, the, the phone make sure the kids hear words well, we gotta get down to business that's correct